I'm no different than most other entrepreneurs out there where it's difficult to shut your brain off, you know, when you're not working or in the evening time or whatever. You just got to have that time, you know. And one of the things that my friend and coach had helped me realize was a huge breakthrough for me in this topic here was that when you're resting, when you are out, you know, whatever, exercising, whatever, you're just taking a nap or whatever it might be, that is part of the work. Podcast Junkies, episode 171. Welcome back. If you're new to the show, then it's welcome to the Podcast Junkies home. This is a place where I've amassed, collected, uh, had a, an amazing time over the past four plus years with a wide variety of amazing podcast hosts for the most part. I think there's been a couple of episodes, solo episodes, recaps that weren't podcast hosts, but all in all, this is the place for aficionados, fans, junkies of all things podcast. I talk to some of the most interesting folks in the podcasting world and I bring them here after meeting them in person usually or through a connection or through an outreach on social media. Any and all of the above have been uh, the way that I've considered and had people onto the show. So, Anything that strikes my fancy, it's my show, and I want to make sure that if I'm engaged and entertained, then I know that you will be too. If you missed last week's episode, it was a doozy. It was William Hung, host of Champion by Choice, uh, rebranded from Fear. Uh, now I forgot the <laughs> the name of the show. The new I just noticed that on the podcast podcatcher that he's called it now Champion by Choice, which I think is a better name actually. What was cool about that episode is that if you listen to it, you realize that at the end, if you know his story, that he sang uh, the the Ricky Martin song "She Bang." And it was funny because that's how he made his mark on American Idol. And that's how people got to hear about him. And towards the end, I said, hey, William, did you ever get a chance to connect with uh, Ricky Martin? I thought that would be cool. I don't know if you've ever seen him sing. And he's like, no, that's never happened. I said, well, put the intention out there because you never know. I'm not going to claim credit for it. But (laughs) I did notice as the episode was being released, I checked him out on social media. And lo and behold, he had gone to a Ricky Martin concert. I don't know the specifics, but he was up there and he sang She Bangs with him. So amazing, amazing uh, follow up to that uh, episode, which I thought was super cool. So you never know. You come to Podcast Junkies and you say your intention and it just might happen. I have the intention of having someone like Rick Mulready on for the longest time. I've actually met him. I met him, I believe he was at New Media Expo in 2014. Those that have uh, listened to me know the story that I went there and that's where I started podcasting. And I think he was there, if I remember correctly as well. And it's taken this long to him uh, for him to come on the show. We connected at Social Media Marketing World. I ran into him and Amy Porterfield, who's also scheduled to be on the show in the future. Uh, Rick was uh, first to get on the schedule and we were able to have that conversation. And I knew him from a far and I knew him from his podcast as well, but it was great because we got into, um, you know, Rick's been into online marketing for a long, long time. He even has memories of the dawn of the internet, which we talked about. He was involved in the hockey world. He's a hockey aficionado, hockey super fan for a long time. So he talks a little bit about what he learned from the hockey world, the rise of Facebook ads. He's been there from the very beginning, his first podcast, how the podcast has improved his business. And obviously you can't have a conversation with Rick without some tips on how to use Facebook ads better. And then we talk about connections he's made in the podcasting world. So all in all, a really good conversation and a great opportunity for me to introduce you to him and for me to get to know him a little bit better. 
I mentioned last week, I'm putting together a case study where we sit with you side by side through a go at your own pace online course. And as you work through the course, then twice a month, I do live coaching one-on-one. It's my case study implementation program. And it's my way of helping you, giving you a hand as you work through your podcast, whether you're starting from the very, very beginning or you have an idea in mind and you just need some help along the way. So it's something I've been doing for the past couple of months, and I'm excited that we have a new round starting. So if you're interested, if you've got a a little bit of a, an email list, not too much, maybe 200, 300 names to start, and you're interested in using a podcast to grow your business, then all you have to do is send an email to harry at podcastjunkies.com and just put the word case study in the subject line, and we'll take it from there. Stay tuned to the end of the episode when I release the super duper hockey related, as you might imagine, retention hashtag to see who's been listening and who hasn't. For now, enjoy my conversation with the fantastic Rick Mulready. So Rick Mulready, host of The Art of Paid Traffic, thank you so much for joining us on Podcast Junkies. Absolutely. I'm very grateful to be here. Thanks, man. It feels like it's been a long time coming. Were you at 2014 New Media Expo? I, I think you were. That was in Vegas. Vegas, yeah. Yes, I was. I was. And one session, I think I might have been talking to your wife and you came over. I think I vaguely remember that. Okay. I think that was my first ever speaking gig. It was my first ever, quote unquote, real speaking gig. I was so nervous, man. I was, I I had my pretty much, I had my, it was like a 45 minute presentation and it was completely memorized, like completely. Like I knew exactly what I needed to say and I was so nervous. Oh, how times have changed. It's interesting because I know a lot of podcasters, when they're getting started, mm-hmm. they look at that as a platform for an ability to get speaking engagements. How much work would you say you had done on the show leading up to that invite from them at New Media Expo? Well, so at that time, I didn't even have the Art of Pay Traffic. I hadn't started that show. I didn't start AOPT until the middle of 2016, I want to say. Yeah, because we're almost at two years now. I've been doing a show called Inside Social Media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. So I did 53 episodes of that show. It still lives. I don't, you know, I don't add to it or anything like that. But by that point, I had done a fair amount of those episodes. You know, I remember somebody telling me that it takes 20 episodes to get really comfortable behind the microphone. I was like, 20 episodes? Like, what are you talking about? That's a lot. And I remember distinctly hitting 23 episodes. Oh, okay. I know what they're talking about now. It, like, I get it. And things started to click in. I still am not super comfortable behind, but I love it, but I'm not super comfortable behind it still, even after I've done total 235 episodes between the two. And so, yeah, I've been doing it a little while before that opportunity with New Media Expo came up. What has speaking done for you in terms of exposure? I mean, I love it. I actually just spoke yesterday, you know, the day that we're recording this, I spoke yesterday to at an event that was about, I don't know, it was like 60 people there. Or so, you know, it allows me to connect with people on a much more personal level. I love the interaction that way. I actually, I love to speak. Going back to how nervous I was that very first time, it's so funny to see the evolution. It actually took me a while. And I, I remember very distinctly getting off stage at an event in... I think it was November of 2017. So it wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming off and I was like feeling so energized from it. And I was like, man, this is something I love to do. I do frankly do feel like I've gotten much better at it. It's just something I really love to do. And so the exposure has been great because I've, I feel like the podcast has improved that speaking from stage. One of the biggest things I love about it from, from an exposure standpoint is when I have people come up to me who are my students who I've never met before. And I meet them for the first time in person. And, you know, 
if I don't, you know, completely recognize them, you know, right off the bat, as far as their name goes, they, you know, they kind of give me a little background. I'm like, okay, yep, totally remember now. And I get, I get to see, and I get to talk to them in on a personal level. And I just, I love that opportunity. That happens a lot at say like social media marketing world, for example, where I people come up and, you know, they're students and they tell me, you know, you know, what they've been able to do from what they've learned from me and stuff like that. And I, I just, I love that opportunity to do that. How long have you been working with Facebook ads now? I've been doing Facebook ads for eight and a half years now, okay. since 2010, back when all there was, was just the little right side, the little right side ad with the little tiny, I don't even remember what the dimensions were, but the little tiny image on the right side with a couple of lines of copy. And that was it, you know, and the, and the targeting was very primitive. I distinctly remember that. But yeah, it's been eight and a half years since I've been doing ads. Was that your first foray into digital marketing? No, not at all. I've been doing digital marketing now for 18 and a half years. So I started way back in, in 2000 at uh, AOL, back when you know the, the disks were still being sent out and the annoying dial-up sound. <laughs> I started in their advertising operations team. So what I was doing when I first started there was I was implementing the ad campaigns that the sales team was selling. So I was on the back end of it. And we were like physically putting it into us in an internal system within AOL. So the banners at that time just showed up, you know, showed up on, you know, whatever AOL weather, AOL sports or whatever it was, or across the, uh, you know, we used to call it a run of AOL where it would run across all of AOL. That was my first exposure. And I started to evolve from there and ended up managing half that team. So about 20, I had about 24 ish people under me at one point doing that. And then I moved into, they had a quote unquote broadband team. So like high speed internet back then. This is Which is a big deal, right? Yeah, totally. This is like 2003. And they were talking about like the connected home, quote unquote. And so I moved over to that team for a little while and then uh, ended up getting laid off. I was there for four years and we went through the eight layoffs in that four years. And the eighth layoff got me. I mean, this was crazy back then. And then I moved out here to the West Coast and went to work for Yahoo. At that point, I was managing accounts, some of the big brands like Nissan and so forth, and then started to move into, from there, moved into sales, you know, selling the online advertising deals. So the cool thing about this whole journey through online advertising over the years was I was exposed to all different types of advertising, you know, because later on, I worked for Funny or Die, for example, we were doing branded entertainment and video and you know, big production stuff. And so we're talking everything from a static banner way back in, you know, in 2000, all the way through to big productions on video and, and brands and stuff like that with Funny or Die and stuff like that. So it was really cool. And then to expose myself to Facebook ads in 2010, you know, I took all that knowledge that I had, you know, over the past uh, 10 years at that point in online advertising and, and leveraged it to teach myself and learn Facebook ads. Um, and that was really sort of the, how things started with Facebook ads. So a couple of things to unpack there. The earlier days of the internet, like it's so exciting, like to think about, you know, you mentioned banner ads, you think about, I think it was 468 by something. I like, I almost have that. 468 by 60. Yep. <laughs> 728 by 90. Yep, I still remember. <laughs> and so that would be like the big thing. Like everyone would want the banner ad on top of their like WordPress site. It was hilarious. Like, and then we would do the sidebar ads as well. And when the skyscrapers came out, like the 160 by 600s were like, whoa, those were like earth shattering. It's like, holy cow, look at those ads. 
I have a lot of fond memories of the dot-com era and, and what happened. I even tried, you know, part of my stories that I left just go with a startup. What's one of your, your fondest memories of just that whole heyday of, you know, there's a lot of just interesting stuff happening. And there at that moment, people are testing stuff and people are trying out stuff and, and businesses are being created and, 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 and crashing as well. Well, that's really what it was, was that I loved my time at AOL. And I was at headquarters in Virginia, right outside of at Dulles, basically, right outside the airport there uh, in Ashburn. I loved my time there. It was fast moving. It was always something new going on. You know, there was always, and these back then, and granted, the deals are huge now, but back then, these were multi million dollar deals, which at an early stage in online advertising, this was a huge deal. Yeah. And so just to see the different intricacies of the deals and stuff like that, how they're being sold and how new products were being rolled out, you know, at chat back then was the big deal. And just to see the evolution. And, and also when I was there, I started, I want to say about, I think I started like two days after the Time Warner merger had been oh, announced. Wow. That was a big deal. Yeah. So I'll never forget this. I started my, the stock price I came in at was $62. And when I left four years later, I think it was at $9. <laughs> so, so my stock options were, were worth nothing, but it was just really interesting just to see all that and just to see what was going on. And the, and like you said, just the, I call it kind of the wild west days of the internet where many things went down that probably shouldn't have been going down. And, and also just to kind of, you know, watch what was going on with all the businesses. And, you know, that was, I started there just at the start of the bubble. There was all these riches when I, right, you know, leading up to that point. And then I get in there, like I said, time, the more, the merger with Time Warner, I <laughs> think started to go downhill from there. But it was such an interesting, interesting time just to be a part of that because. That wasn't my background. That was the other thing that was really cool for me was that I actually had come from the hockey world. I was with the Washington Capitals hockey team for five years prior to that. And so then to come into the internet world, not really knowing what was going on with it, and then just to see the evolution was really, really cool. So I, I loved my time. And I'd say the constant throughout the 18 and a half years of being in online advertising, what I love about it is that change. There's always something new. You know, and when it comes to Facebook ads, for example, people get frustrated, like, well, there's a new change, there's a new update. And like, I love it, you know, because it keeps you on your toes. Yeah, exactly. For that reason, it keeps you on your toes. It makes you a better marketer. And, you know, if we understand that Facebook is trying to help us get better results with the features and the updates that they're rolling out, you know, as long as we're staying on top of that, you know, that's, that's all a good thing. So that's, I love that constant throughout online advertising that is always changing. What were you doing with the Capitals? I was their scouting coordinator. So I interned for them my senior year in school. So I went to George Mason University in Northern Virginia. I didn't declare a major until second semester junior year. And I decided, you know what? I want to do PR for a sports team. And so I reached out to all the area teams. I reached out to the Orioles. I reached out to the Redskins. Back then, they were the Washington Bullets basketball team. And the Capitals were the team that, that reached back out to me and responded. So I interned for them my senior year which was awesome. You know, knew enough to get hired when I graduated, but there wasn't a position available. And then about a year later, uh, a position came up in the, uh, in the general manager's office as a, you know, sort of an assistant in there. And that was the uh, scouting coordinator position. So I was the scouting coordinator for four years, which basically means that I was the liaison between the scouting staff and the general manager's office. And, and I was working in the GM's office. And, and that was awesome. I mean, that was amazing. That, that experience, just, you know, being around the team and, and uh, being a big hockey fan at the time. Uh, and I'm a diehard hockey fan now. 
that was just a, a really, really cool experience. And then, like I said, going from that to the internet world uh, at AOL was completely different. And how that transition happened was basically general manager who had hired me had gotten fired. And he went to another team. And the new GM that came in brought my equivalent with him from the team that he was coming with. And he brought him in as assistant general manager. And so I said, you know what? Writing's on the wall. I'm not moving up anytime soon. I've been doing this for four years. And at right around that time, Ted Leonsis, who was one of the very early people at AOL, excuse me, purchased the team, purchased the capitals. And so I got to know him. I got to know his staff. And that was my in at AOL. And that was the start of my online advertising. What's something you took away from your time at the Capitals? It, like you mentioned, like a whole different skill set and doing that PR, you know, probably flex some different types of business muscles. And I'm wondering from the time there, what's, what's something that you still carry through that you learned there? Yeah, I mean, attention to detail for sure. I mean, they're so detail oriented. You know, every little thing is tracked and, and all of the stats and the numbers matter. I would say that's first and foremost. But the second one might surprise you a little bit. And it's not necessarily business related, but it is. I learned from that how important it was to take care of yourself physically. You know, those guys are obviously in unbelievable physical shape. You know, they care about taking care of their bodies. They take, they care about, you know, what they're eating and stuff like that. All that's super important. And when you're around that, you understand that your performance, whether it's in your life, you know, just in general or in the business, you know, for them, obviously it's being an athlete, but I got to see that from, you know, how taking care of yourself whether it's rest, you know, whether it's exercise, whether it's eating, whatever is so important and affects everything else in your life, obviously, including your business and how you perform in your business. That was a huge takeaway and has stuck with me ever since then. I noticed you're a Bulletproof coffee fan. Is that still? I love it. I just finished mine about an hour ago. And what's interesting, because that whole world is like, that's the whole, you know, the biohacking world. Is that some of what you're, you're referencing? The fact that there's this always like ways to be performing at your optimal best. I also think too that, you know, in addition to what you just said, like what we can often get into, and I've been absolutely guilty of this, and I I have to stop myself sometimes, you know, even to this day, is that we think we can just power through something, you know, that rest isn't important or, you know, kind of taking a step back to get some exercise or, you know what, I'm in a hurry today, I'm just going to eat, you know, just whatever's right in front of me, when all that stuff really affects how you perform. It's counterintuitive when you think about it, you're like, well, I'm really busy today. I don't have time to to stop and rest and go for a walk or whatever it might be. But yet that is actually part of the work and is going to help you perform better overall, both from a physical standpoint and an emotional standpoint. So yeah, I'm constantly thinking about those types of things. Is that a lesson you learned over time or the hard way or? <laughs> Good question. Both. Yeah. <laughs> I've definitely learned the hard way and definitely over time. Hard way in a sense of, you know, a few years ago, I just worked nonstop and I was constantly thinking about it. And, you know, I'm no different than most other entrepreneurs out there where it's difficult to shut your brain off, you know, when you're not working or in the evening time or whatever. And you just got to have that time, you know. And one of the things that my friend and coach had helped me realize was a huge breakthrough for me in this topic here was that when you're resting, when you were out, you know, whatever, exercising, whatever, you're just taking a nap or whatever it might be, that is part of the work because that is going to help you when you're actually doing, you know, doing what business quote unquote work is part of the work. And once I was able to allow myself 
to get that, to understand that, it was like a huge weight off my shoulders because, you know, you lost the, you know, I lost, I lost the guilt, quote unquote, of like, oh, you know what, got to get away from the, you know, got to get away from my laptop or whatever. And it just sort of took the pressure off. So understanding that that, the rest and the rejuvenating, having fun, all that different, all the different types of stuff is part of the work that we're doing. Yeah, it's like when they tell you, like when you weight lift, the, the benefits come from the, the days off because that's when the muscle is resting and yeah, rebuilding. Absolutely. How important is it for you and how long have you had a coach? I've had a coach from, from day one, actually, from this business. So James Wedmore was my first coach, has been my main coach throughout the, uh, the time. Officially hired him in December of 2013. Okay. I'd really fumbled around that 15 months or so after I left a corporate job. So I left the corporate job in the end of September 2012. And so for those next 15 months, I really, really had no idea what I was doing and just fumbled around. Now, prior to that, I did hire another coach. His name's Adam Baker. I want to say that was in 2010 because that was at a time where I did realize that I eventually wanted to go out on my own and do something outside of the corporate world. I knew there was something else I should be doing. And I knew that I wanted to do something online, but I had no idea what that this whole world was. And so... I literally found this guy online, liked what he was doing on his website. So I reached out to him for coaching. I think I pay like $500 a month for coaching at that time. You know, that was sort of the start of kind of directing me towards Facebook ads, actually, because, you know, it was a natural progression from what I was doing. I was in the online advertising world. So um, that was the first exposure to coaching. But then when I officially started working with, uh, with James in uh, January of 2014, that's when things really took off because I, I hadn't been doing any revenue, really, uh, any consistent revenue, I should say, in those 15 months. And that guidance and mentorship and coaching and accountability and all that stuff was critical for me. So you're asking, like, how important is it? I think coaching is absolutely important, whether you're paying for it or just getting somebody as a mentor, group coaching, whatever the, like I just mentioned, the mentorship, the coaching, the, the accountability, the support is invaluable. Because I went to a guy in James who had already been doing what I wanted to be doing. So he just showed me what worked for him and that expedited things for me. You know, I'm very grateful in that I have, you know, people who come to me for coaching and I'm able to sort of do what happened for me to, for other people. You know, I think coaching in some fashion is extremely, extremely important for getting to where you want to go quicker. Yeah, I get the sense because I have a coach as well and he helps accelerate what you're missing like and the things that you don't know and they've made the mistakes so hypothetically already like so you can sort of move forward and that's the whole point that they can get you there faster than you would on your own because I think too many people think like, why would I pay someone for this? Uh, I could learn it on my own, but it would, you can, it'll take you just an extra two or three years. <laughs> right, exactly. And what types of things are they helping you with? It's a mastermind. It's called Black Belt. Uh, his name's Taki Moore tell the story a lot. The Jim Rohn quote, you are the sum of the five people you most associate yourself with. And just like you coming out of corporate America, I was like, oh, that's my corporate world. It started with podcasting because I started with my, with this show four years ago and then eventually moved into my business now, uh, which does done for you podcasting. But I realized I need to talk to people who have done this successfully. And I started hearing stories of like these six figure and seven figure, totally online entrepreneurs. And I would just stare at them in these in these masterminds, they'd share their wins and be like, you did what? You, what? what <laughs> how much money are you making a month? And you did that what, last month? <laughs> You're doing what on your webinars? I'm like, what's a webinar? What's a sales page? What's a, <laughs> what's a lead magnet? <laughs> like, you have to start using like the terminology and just 
you know, walking the walk and talking the talk. I'm curious you know, when you, because you had that experience with AOL, mm-hmm. when you first saw Facebook ads like start to be a thing, mm-hmm. I think you probably saw that differently than most people because you're like, oh, I know what this is and I know what this can be. Yeah, I think that that's why, it, you know, I was never a teacher. I was never, I was in sales, you know, and granted, there is an, obviously an aspect of teaching and sales and stuff like that, but it, it was never something I saw myself as like I do now. Yeah. And that experience in the corporate world of online advertising and being exposed to all those different things really helped me, like you just mentioned, understand what was going on with Facebook ads when it started to roll out. Because like when I they started to get, you know, popular, well, I wouldn't say popular, but they were starting to get more prevalent, let's just say, what, late 2008-ish, mm-hmm. somewhere in that time frame, they started to you know, to gain more prominence and, and people were, were advertising, you know, late, late, um, you know, 2007, eight, some, you know, somewhere in that, in that, yeah. uh, in that range. And so when I picked it up in 2010, I was understanding what they were doing with it. Okay. And I was understanding like the opportunity that existed with it. And so my background allowed me to pick things up a whole lot quicker yeah. and be able to, as the years went on, like I can teach Facebook ads to anybody. Like, and I don't mean I don't say that in like, oh, look at me. I just like yeah. it just comes very easy to me because I've been doing it for so long. Sure. And also I've been doing online advertising for so long. So there's so much more to Facebook ads than just getting into ads manager and setting the stuff up. I mean, it goes back to the very, you know, the basics of marketing and advertising of like, you know, understanding your your target audience and what what types of needs are you able to help them fulfill and what are their pain points, what are their challenges and how do you communicate that and what kind of offer, you know, like all that different types of stuff that frankly, a lot of people don't want to spend the time to nail down prior to doing their Facebook ads. You know, having those years of experience allowed me to more easily teach that and learn how to take that, that experience and to be able to teach that in such a way that, you know, because it's such a, it can be a complex topic. How do we take that, super simplify it down and so that people can go, oh, okay, yeah, I get this and then just go do it and, you know, implement it in their business. Yeah, I think for many people, it's a, it becomes a rabbit hole and, and they start playing around with it. And before you know it, like I've done it myself, like um, it's like two days are gone and I'm just like, I don't feel like I've made any progress or I've even run ads and it's like, wait, wait. And that's a, you're a couple of thousand dollars in and nothing's happening. You're like, oh, man. This scares a lot of people off because it's there's so many different options and I think it's overwhelming for people. And I think you know, in the beginning, you couldn't get into Power Editor unless you were you had that specific URL and now they make it easy with, with the business page. But um, yeah, I mean, I can see like if this idea of like flattening the learning curve for people or even only showing them like what they need to learn to start so they can have some success because that's where people get nervous. Give them enough to get into the game, if you will, to start to see some success there. The cool thing about it is you don't need to spend a lot of money in order to see success and start testing things out. Mm -hmm. But it's really like you just mentioned, getting that momentum going like, oh, okay, I'm starting to get this now. I mean... I've been doing this for eight and a half years and there's always new things to learn. Yeah. So, you know, for someone to say, I hate the words like expert or guru or whatever, you know, for, you know because we're always learning, you know, yeah, we're always learning and testing new things and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's getting in there, learning the basics, having the foundational stuff of your own business, right? Because if you don't have the things like I was just talking about, like you don't understand your target audience and you don't understand how you're communicating to them or the the challenge that you solve for them, Facebook ads aren't going to solve that. Yeah. You have to have that foundation first and then you can start to go in to learn how to leverage Facebook ads in order to amplify and help those people. 
But yeah, it's just starting small, getting some momentum and, and using that momentum to build off of. So let's talk about your journey into podcasting. What's your earliest recollection of, of podcasts? I started this in 2000, middle of 2013. I want to say May of 2013, I think. I'd have to go back and look at the, the original show. But this was a case where I just kept hearing about podcasting, just hearing like, oh, you know, this is the next big thing and like you should be doing it. I remember uh, I, I had gotten to know Pat Flynn pretty well a couple of years before that. And so he was podcasting at the time and he was like, dude, you got to do this. You know, you got to get into it. I have no idea. Like, I am not a techie person. It was very intimidating for me as far as like, well, I don't like what kind of microphone do I do? You know, and at the time, and he still has it. It's actually much more expanded now, but he had the free, the free podcasting tutorial. And so I literally went through that step by step. Yeah. I had no idea what I was doing though. Kind of stepping back with that show, it was called Inside Social Media. And the idea of it was, I'll never forget, I was on a plane going back east, going back to, I grew up in New Hampshire. Yeah. So I was on my way back for Christmas. I think it was the end of 2012, I think it was. Had this idea, I was listening to an interview with Gary Vaynerchuk and they said, what have you read recently or something? Gary's like, I don't read. I don't read books. I've read like four books in my life. You know, he says it a lot. He said, but if you are going to read something, I'd re- I would recommend reading Ad Age and uh, Tech Meme. And so he said, Ad Age, so you can stay up on what's going on, like the, what the big brands are doing from an advertising and marketing perspective and, the, and Tech Meme to stay up on the tech side of things. And a little light bulb went off and I was like, what if I created a, a podcast around talking to big businesses finding out what they're doing in social media, but how small businesses can model and recreate that on their, their smaller budget for their own business. Because I felt like that allowed me to take my background of corporate and getting into what I wanted to do was more small business and online business. How do I merge the two? And so that's where the whole idea came from. And I'll never forget. So once I decided to do this, I was like, well, I know nobody necessarily in head of social media for any brand. And so what I started to do, I remember distinctly, I was in a Pete's Coffee in Brentwood when I was living in LA. And I started to brainstorm all the different brands I would love to have on the show. Mm-hmm. And I remember putting down like Nike and Starbucks and yeah. Ford and all these other brands. And I'm like, all right, I don't have contacts there in these social media departments. So I'm just going to start doing research. So I started doing research, found, you know, got their email addresses started to put together these emails that I would send to them to see if they would come on the show explaining the show and all this other stuff. I was getting no response. So I decided to to change up. I was like, well, these emails are not working. So I decided to change up the format of the email. I don't remember exactly what I did. I'll never forget. I sent it within a few hours. I heard back from Scott Monty. He was Ford's head of social media. And I heard back and he said, I'd love to do it. And I was like, like, I remember it being like, all right, cool. This is working. Like, this is working so far. And I'll never forget. I'm like, I know that this email format worked to invite guests on the show. And what I decided to do from there is whenever I sent out an email to somebody new, I would always reference my other guests. Yes. And so Scott Monty's name, that held a lot of, you know, a lot of pull. And so from there, it started to snowball. And so I started to line up these guests. I didn't know what I was doing at all on the interviews themselves, but to set the whole thing up. I literally followed Pat's, you know, podcasting tutorial step by step. I got the the first mic was the ATR twenty one hundred USB mic. It's, I still have it. It's great. I literally didn't upgrade to to the Heil PR forty here until last year. 
Yeah, same here. Same here. I had the ATR2100 for the first 100 episodes. I mean, it's like, what, $65 or something like that? Great, Mike. I had no idea what I was doing with this five-channel mixer that I had. I was like, I texted Pat. I was like, dude, take a picture of your mixer because he was using the same one at the time. Take a picture of your mixer and send it to me. Number one, I have no idea what these settings mean or how to set them. And so I literally just saved it on my phone and I just modeled what he did. It took me a good 20, 25 episodes to feel comfortable on the microphone. And it became a lot easier to, you know, these guests on the show because I kept mentioning them on the show. And so I had huge brands, everything from, you know, from Red Bull to JetBlue to, to Ford to McDonald's, you name it, I had them on the show. And they thought it was a great idea. That's sort of that whole thing got kicked off. And I'll never forget, I had people reaching out to me for the first time saying, I heard your podcast. I love the show. I was like, holy cow, this actually works. You know, this is, you know, people are finding value in it. I'm reaching new people, which was the whole idea. And I remember distinctly thinking that the podcast was the best thing I'd done for the business. And I feel that way to this day with AOPT. You know, I have people reach out to me every single day saying how much they love the show and commenting or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the other massive benefit to it, and I don't know what the percentage is, but it's north of 80%. But I would say more than 80% of my paying customers, whether students or group coaching or whatever it is, have listened to the show. That also shares, you know, that also shows huge value in what the podcast is providing. Yeah, there's so many takeaways there. I mean, it's they call it laddering when you use those influencers and you stack yeah. them up and then you, you just got to get that first one and then you can yeah. build upon that. And then it's this other idea of you connecting with these people who I imagine you still have relationships with. Yeah. And you have an hour-long conversation with someone, you're building your network and you're growing and your influence and now they know who you are, you know who they are. And I think too many people overlook that. They sometimes have the, the guest on and they treat it as a transaction as opposed to as an opportunity mm-hmm. to build a deeper relationship with people. And I think you did that and connected with people who you would otherwise have not if you didn't have the show. Yeah, absolutely. And, and these are people too at these brands who don't necessarily get a whole lot of recognition. They're the behind the scenes people. It was an opportunity to showcase their work. You know, I'll never forget the Red Bull conversation that I had, and I'm completely blanking on her name right now. What we talked about was when they sent uh, a guy up in a, the guy who jumped out of space or something like that. <laughs> yes, thank you. We what we talked about was like how they did that, the foundation of what they did there, like the the principles behind what they were doing. But yet, how could a small business who isn't going to be sending people to space, how could they do something similar? with using the principles of that. I just found that, you know, being able to showcase their work in such a way that was relatable to small businesses was, and I really think that this was, I'm actually, I didn't never put this together, but now that we're talking about it, I think that was the beginning of my love for being able to break down complex things into very simplified things, you know, like simplified topics. Because here we are talking about, you know, sending people to space and the guys jumping out of space and, yeah. and you know, doing a stunt for the brand. But yet a small business can look at that and like, well, you know, obviously I'm never going to do that. But there's principles that you could take away from that that you can use. And so it was a lot of fun. And it was like you said, I, s- I still have some of these relationships. You know, if I want to reach out to somebody, oftentimes I would hear from them later saying, hey, I was talking to so and so from this brand. I think they'd be a good you know, guest for your show. That's the ultimate. That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about podcasting and Facebook ads. I imagine you, um, and how podcasters can think about Facebook ads. And, and you know, a, a lot of 
folks that are where we were and getting started. Podcasting is not their full-time gig and then it's, they're bootstrapped and they're just doing it as, as a hobby. You know, some eventually move it into their own business. But what ad- advice do you have for people who, who might want to dip their toe in the Facebook ads? I know their initial foray into it is usually a, a request from Facebook to boost an ad, which <laughs> is probably frowned upon and they think they're doing something. But I'm wondering if you could maybe just highlight a couple of um, quick things maybe podcasters should be thinking about as they start to think about Facebook ads. The first thing is, is goes back to what we talked about earlier is, is you got to understand who your audience is, right? Who are the people that you want listening? Who do you want to attract listening to the show? So you've got to understand that so that you can leverage Facebook's targeting to be able to reach those people. The challenge that we face when it comes to promoting a, a podcast with, with ads is that you know, there's no conversion. You know, you're not placing the pixel anywhere. So you have to make some assumptions that you know what we spent whatever money on promoting such and such episode, for example, and we saw a spike in downloads. Okay. So yes, we can send people to our show notes page. If there's a download there, we can track all that stuff. We can track the number of clicks. We can track the traffic. At this time, we can't say specifically, I spent $100, let's just say on this ad, and it resulted in 5,000 new downloads. Yeah. So we have to make some assumptions there. With that said, what you know, there's different things that you can do. So for example, let's just say that... So last week I did an episode, a friend of mine, her name is Suzanne Dibble, and she's a, an attorney in the UK. And we were talking about this whole GDPR thing that's coming out in, in May. Let's just say that I had a download. I had like a, a check she does, but let's just say I had it. And I have that checklist that people, you know, that talks about GDPR and what people need to be aware of and whatever. So I could run an ad to that download, to that checklist, but also be promoting the show with that checklist, right? So I could have it, on the opt-in page, for example. It's like, hey, here's the checklist, but also here, or don't miss this episode. So you can be tracking, you know, again, we're not able to say, yes, this spend resulted in X downloads. You know, you can make some assumptions on the exposure and so forth. So it really comes down to, again, before, as I said before, understanding your target audience so that you can get in front of those people. Just doing simple things like you can use, like we use Wave a lot, W-A-V-B-E, or you can put the audio file in the... Audiograms, yeah. Those are cool. I mean, you could be doing that. Those are eye-catching. You know, the idea is to kind of get it out there, get some more exposure, get some more awareness around it. And yes, look at the stats to see how many people are clicking and so forth. But I still think it's a very underutilized opportunity when it comes to promoting a show on, on Facebook or Instagram. You know, I would say be taking your, your best episodes or maybe not even your best episode just be on a continual basis, just be putting a few dollars. Again, you don't have to be spending $1,000 a week or anything like that. You can be putting a few dollars behind it to see what kind of engagement you get. That will also tell you how well people like the topics that you're talking about. That can help you know, inform future episodes and so forth. But definitely an opportunity there, understanding your target audience and then taking and being creative with the, the, you know, the content of the episode and using that in your ads. You're saying actually use the audiograms in the Facebook ad? I would try that for sure. Because you can do movies now, so you can make those short, about a minute long. So it's interesting. Absolutely. So talk a bit about your relationship and the friendships you've cultivated through podcasting because you, you, you're a guest host on Amy Porterfield's show a lot and, and those are always fun. So can you talk about how important that's been to you as well? It's funny because as you know, like podcasting, there's a kinship there. You know, A lot of listeners don't realize how much work goes into a show and doing it week in and week out. You know, it's, it's hard work, you know, especially when 
you know, we don't have this big production team like, a, say, like an NPR show or something like that. I'm saying that NPR, they put, they put a massive amount of work into it, but they have teams to do it. We're not doing like necessarily, we're not doing the same production value, but there's still a ton of work that goes into it. And so sharing, you know, and commiserating and, and how we're, it's like, oh, you know, I don't have an episode for next week and it's like Friday, you know, sharing that with our friends who understand, you know, is always fun. But yeah, I mean, you know, I'll never forget the first time I met uh, like John Lee Dumas, for example. He had just come out with his podcast. He was like two months out. I want to say this was back in 2014, 2013. I forget. He was living in Portland, Maine at the time. He had just come out with the show. And uh, my now wife, Amy, and I were in uh, New Hampshire for, for the holidays visiting my family. And I reached out to him, let him know like, hey, I was you know, really digging the show. I forget exactly what I said to him, but just let him know that I was going to be in New Hampshire because that's where I was from. Would he be up for getting a coffee? And uh, we drove up to Portland, I don't know, an hour and 15 minutes or so and met with him for like two hours, had coffee with him. And we're still friends to this day. And so it's amazing what, what podcasts are able to do not only from guests, like you, you know, you having people on and vice versa, but just your friends who are also doing shows and that type of relationship that allows you to, uh, to build and talk about, you know, again, going back to like, joking around like what's going on or like even talking about like what's working, you know, like just sharing ideas and hey, like what's working as far as exposure and all this other stuff for shows. Yeah, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's been awesome. Yeah, I think you, your your ability to commiserate because you've sort of gone through the same thing is is really helpful because you try to relate this to people that you had in your corporate life or something or your or people you grew up with or in, from high school or college. You know, they really can't relate to it because there's something about the entrepreneurial journey and, and the podcasting journey <laughs> that's really unique to the experiences we're having. Absolutely. And the thing I love about it too is that everyone does it a little bit differently. You know, the, everyone's process and podcasting now for five years, I'm still refining the process. I'm still trying to make it easier. It's so interesting to hear how, you know, my friends do it as well. Like, well, like, all right, well, what's their process look like? Or how involved is the team, you know, or how in the world are you doing a weekly download for every episode? You know, like just talking about those things yeah. and learning what's working and what's not working and, and vice versa, you know, them asking you like, all right, hey, how did you do this? Or for example, we had a, an amazing strategy that worked really well at the end of, uh, and we still do it, but the end of 2017 that, you know, I started sharing with people and they were like, that's brilliant idea to implement that, you know, on the, on the show, but just kind of sharing those ideas of what's working, what's not working is, is, is awesome. This may seem uh, like a counterintuitive question or, or some sort of a uh, Zen cone, but is there any instance where Facebook ads don't work or wouldn't be a good fit? You know, I get that question a lot and my immediate answer is no. And I say that simply because of, you know, there's a billion people on the platform, but that's a lot of people like what's that one in four of the world. I think it is. You know, that means your target audience is there, you know, it's just a matter of finding them. And then it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is understanding who you want to attract to your business or show, understanding how, what types of offers and how you're going to be communicating with them. Once you understand that, then you can leverage the platform to reach those people. And I get this a lot from like B2B. Many people are, are very skeptical when it comes to Facebook ads, right? They're like, no, it's only work for B2C stuff, which is not true. B2B, you know, it comes down to what are you offering and then being really super clear on who you are trying to reach. What type of person are you trying to reach? Who is the decision maker for your offer? And again, leveraging Facebook's targeting to be able to, to do that. And so it doesn't work. It doesn't work for 
the people who are not willing to do the testing. If somebody comes in and you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna try Facebook ads, like I hear how great it is or or whatever. And you know, they they try it for two weeks and they're like, oh, this didn't work, you know, I got no results. You know, like you were talking about before, you're like, I, I spent a couple of days and I spent money, I didn't see any results. Well, the problem there is the people who give up after that. In a sense, it didn't work for them. It doesn't mean that Facebook ads don't work. It's more of a mindset thing. It's like, all right, I have to go into this knowing that it's gonna take me some time to find what works and find what doesn't work. That's very helpful. Thank you for sharing that. A couple of questions as we wrap up. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? What's something I changed my mind about recently? Great question. I'm doing a lot of work. Um, I have another coach. It's more, he's more of like a business performance coach, but from a mindset perspective, um, that's like all it is. And we're going to get super woo-woo here for a second. I've changed my mind about understanding how I perceive things, that the external things are not what is actually affecting me. It's actually what's inside and how I'm perceiving the external things is what is I'm allowing to affect me, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So rather than being an outside-in thing, it's an inside-out thing. And so it all starts with how you are showing up, how you are. Are you happy? Are you pissed off all the time? Are you frustrated all the time? And then that is going to dictate how you see things in the world and in your business. And so that's been a big, huge like aha, so that that's one thing I've definitely changed my mind about. And you've seen that have results already in, in how you approach your day to day. Absolutely. You know, I went through, I've had anxiety almost, my, well, for, I can remember it back as like seventh grade. So for a big part of my life. And what I've learned finally is that I look at, I see like anxiety and worry and me trying to control things as a way of trying to control things. So in my mind says, if I worry, then I'm able to control the situation which is completely wrong. Like, is it, this is completely not true. I mean, it's taken me years to, to realize that. But what I've been able to understand finally is that, and there's evidence, right? So if I've been worried about revenue, for example, during a period of time, well, all you have to do is look at that period of time. Like, well, were you happy with the revenue? If you're not, it's simple evidence that that worrying did no good for you and was actually very detrimental to you and your health and all this other stuff. But so yes, I do have very much I have proof of that in for me personally, finally understanding that, you know what, enjoy the process, be happy. Again, this sounds all woo-woo and stuff like that, but it's like if you lead with happiness and caring and being of service to people that you want to help, everything else takes care of itself. And so that's been a big, you know, transformation for me. It's interesting because it seems to be this unspoken thing with the entrepreneurial journey and the stress and the anxiety and, you know, the pressure of like the day to day and like getting bills paid. And with social media, like entrepreneurs and podcasters, we all seem to put on our best face and we just like, hey, things are good, crushing it. Or just I almost get the sense that there should be a podcast called Entrepreneur Anxiety or something like that, where, you know, I mean, those stories are important. And I think if more people felt like they could talk about them in a public forum, it would help a lot of people. So I don't know if there's anything like that exists, but... I agree. And actually, you mentioned Amy Porterfield's show. So we did an episode, we recorded it, I don't know, geez, three or four weeks ago now. It's coming out in a couple of weeks yeah. uh, on her show where I actually talk all about this and I've never talked about it publicly. And you know, she asked me, geez, the end of 2017, she's like, would you start talking about this stuff? And I was like, nope. <laughs> you know, because... You're totally right. Like you go on Instagram and it's all sunshine and rainbows. It's all, 
you know, beautiful pictures and, you know, I'm, I'm working by, there's the ocean and there's my latte in front of me and my laptop is open on the table. And that's sometimes real, like that, yeah. that happens, but it's not certainly every day. It's not always glamorous. And so I think I completely agree with you. Conversations that we can have around this is that of the reality of this stuff that with the amazing things that happen and the great things that there's always, you know, there's always things that are not going so well or opportunities to learn from or not so glamorous stuff, you know, like, you know, I think the more people can, that uh, can people, that people can realize that and we can talk about it, the better. I totally agree. Well, that's great because I think the timing is going to be perfect. And when that comes out, I may ping you or just we'll keep an eye on, yeah. on any stream for that because cool. I think that's something we definitely want to put in the show notes. So thank you for sharing that. And cool. I think that's Absolutely. valuable for people to listen to. That's a nice bow to put on this conversation. <laughs> thanks, awesome. thanks for sharing some of that, you know, some of the personal stories as well, because I think it's important as entrepreneurs and podcasters that we, we share the human side of our journey yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me on. What's the best place for folks to track you down and learn a little bit more about Facebook ads and see if they want to work with you and listen to the show? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, so my website, rickmulready.com, it is newly redesigned. The new redesign just came out about three weeks ago. Thank you. Uh, finally. And then the podcast, which is The Art of Pay Traffic. And we can, we're on all the, all the platforms, iTunes and Stitcher and uh, iHeartRadio and Spotify and all the, wherever you listen to podcasts, it's there. So I really appreciate it. And if anyone wants a crash course on how to create an awesome about page, I suggest you get on over to Rick's. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, there's a long story behind that one. <laughs> so read that and then ask and then reach out to Rick, ask him about the story. But thanks again. I appreciate you. Uh, and it was nice running into you at Social Media Marketing World. And obviously, we've been in the same social circles or podcast circles for uh, a long time. And you're, you're definitely one of the folks that have been on the list. Amy's kind of coming on in a, in, a, in a month or two as well. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks again for having me on. All right. Have a great day. Thanks again, Rick, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Apologies that it's taken me so long for me to track you down, <laughs> but sometimes things work out uh, in divine order the way they're supposed to. And it was nice to run into you at Social Media Marketing World and for you to share an hour of your time with my audience. I know they're going to appreciate it. As always, full show notes are available, podcastjunkies.com forward slash 171, all the links mentioned, some tweetable quotes and uh, timestamps for the show summary of the show as well. So we put a lot of love into those. So check those out, uh, podcastjunkies.com forward slash 171. Don't forget to track me down at Podcast Movement this year. It's July 23rd to the 26th in Philadelphia. It's coming up and it is about a month away from the time of this recording. So you can't miss me. I'll be in the bright yellow Podcast Junkies t-shirt roaming the halls looking for new guests for the show. So let's have a chat. Let's have a beer. Uh, look for me and uh, we'll make this happen. That's how this journey started. That's how it continues. Year five. Uh, grateful for all the friends that I've made there and grateful for all the new ones that I'm going to make this year in the city of brotherly love. Tune in next week for my conversation with Nick Goblish, host of The Independent Dependent. We met at MapCon, Joe Pardo's event. If you haven't heard that episode, look for the one with Joe Pardo. Uh, we talk about that fantastic event and all the great conversations that have come out of there. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Check out his fantastic catalog at cedarsoil.com. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to receive my weekly episode updates. And the easiest way to do that is head on over to podcastchunkies.com forward slash a tools. You'll also download my free PDF of the eight tools I've used to launch podcast junkies. If you made it this far, you're no doubt excitedly waiting for the retention hashtag. It is Rick skates in honor of Rick's hockey passion, Rick skates, one word, and his Twitter handle is Rick Mulready, R-I-C-K-M-U-L-R-E-A-D-Y. Tag him, tag podcast underscore junkies. Thank you so much for everything you do to support the show. I love you all, especially you listening right now on your earbuds.
as you are uh, walking the dog or making dinner or on the treadmill or in traffic. Have a fantastic day.